and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast, episode 96 here on PGE. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon, as the Mets have not yet concluded their game on this Monday evening when we are recording for you guys. Um, episode probably is being listened to you or uh, by you on Tuesday morning, which means you know what happened on Monday night, even though we don't. As of right this very second, it's like 20 after 10 p.m. The Mets are batting in the top of the ninth inning in Milwaukee. They're winning 7-2. to two. Jack Hendon, they are three outs away from clinching their first playoff berth since 2016. How are we feeling? How are you? How are you doing? I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very excited to see how this goes down. We spent the first six innings of this thing thinking that, like, there was going to be a perfect game and then maybe five seconds of the seventh inning thinking we were getting a combined perfect game. Um, so like I'm doing, a, I'm a little bit calmer now than I was then, but like, Oh, this I'm, would be, this would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, I mean, I also though, I'm like, I'm not totally sure like what the, what this calls for, you know what I mean? Because the Braves won today and they're most likely going to win the next two games. They swept the Phillies they beat the Nationals. They have two more against the Nationals. Um, I, I I don't think that that threat gets extinguished by winning these games, uh, or I guess winning, getting these next three outs. Vogie just struck out, by the way. So we're going to break, and then we're going to get to the bottom of the ninth, and we're really going to see what they do here. Um, I mean, they've had such a good season, and I'm really proud of them, right? Like, that's the obvious overarching thing here is that, like, we're going to get to watch them play in October, which we have never done as a podcast before. Um, we've only seen the bad teams. Uh, like they should definitely, I think, enjoy whatever comes like out of this. I just don't know if it's like a, uh, if this is a full fledged, we did it just yet. Um, yeah. Cause if it, if it, if it's about that, right like it's been a we did it thing since like probably like the beginning of the second half like I'd, i i'm still gonna be i'm still gonna be you know avidly watching the next uh what is it like 14 or so games they have left uh like I think it's 14 or Thir after I think, thir 14. think 13 after today. I'm with you. There's still work to be done. And, and the magic number is pretty much, you know, the, for the, the, for the division, the magic number is pretty much equal to the amount of games remaining right now. And you want to create some distance. And it seems like the only opportunities to do that are going to be when the Mets play the Braves themselves. That's next weekend. Um. And, you know, we still, we have a, you know, a little under two full weeks before that series happens. The Mets have, including the Brewers, three opponents before then. And um, you just got to take care of business. And the first step is securing that, that playoff berth because you do that. And then it's, it's no longer a situation where, you know, it, it a collapse is, is, you know a possibility obviously as Mets fans that's something that's like always in the back of our heads that like this team can just at any moment no matter how good they've been for uh, the beginning of the season up to whatever point we're at um, that they can just 
turn on a dime and and let us down as fans we're so conditioned to think that right um that you know it's really really pleasant to have this first step out of the way that even if they don't win the division this year, they're still going to be in the playoffs. They're still going to have as good a chance as any other team to make it deep into the playoffs, given the way that it looks like their pitching is going to be set up. And, and that's a good thing. Um, but I agree with you as we're starting the bottom of the ninth here, Adam Ottavino pitching to Christian Yelich. I, I think that there should be an acknowledgement. There should be a celebration, but it should be subdued. Uh, they were talking about this on the broadcast before uh, Jack and I started recording. And they brought up what the Astros did. The Astros clinched the division tonight, but um, they had previously, you know, clinched their their berth um, to the playoffs a few days, you know, ago. And yeah, um, they like had like a, a cheers. They like toasted, you know. They like filled some glasses up with some some champagne. They didn't spray the champagne everywhere. They just they did a toast to acknowledge that they had made it this far, but there was still work to be done. And I think that that would be. A nice thing to do yeah i think the real catch there and i think what distinguishes the astros situation from the Mets situation is that the astros have pretty much had that division like locked away you know locked up key thrown away for quite a while and like if you're the mets and you don't you know go crazy go stupid tonight and then you lose the division there's never an occasion to really like celebrate all the progress that you made across the season um it looks like Yelich has just doubled yeah he just hit one into a sidewall and made it to second base so give us a little bit more time to talk about this although it would also be very on brand if like they blew a five-run lead uh while we were live reacting the way the Mariners blew their lead um last time we did the live reacting I like running it back I think it's I think I'm glad we're doing it oh yeah Uh, this is fun I mean that that was fun last week. I really enjoyed it. I know you really enjoyed that with the Mariners and the Braves. And uh, it kind of gave us the idea to do it more. I think that, you know, if there's situations that call for it, why, why the hell not? So here we are trying to watch the, the Mets and podcast, watch the Mets clinch a playoff berth and podcast, but lead up yeah. double up yeah. by five runs, but you know, middle of the Brewers uh, order do up and, you know, would be nice if if Otto could get some outs in short order here. Um, well, I, yeah. So just I think to wrap up my my last point, like I you don't want to deprive yourself of an actual chance at um, appreciating what you've done. Um, I also just thinking about this team, thinking about how veteran heavy it is, particularly like veteran with postseason experience heavy, like. This is probably business as usual for someone like Max Scherzer or even someone like Chris Bassett to a lesser extent or Eduardo Escobar. Like, I don't think that um, this is the point in the season where they're going to, I think, decide to, uh, you know, spray each other and, 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 you know, take their victory laps and stuff. Um, But I mean, it, it, it does, I think, raise the question of like when that will come up. And if it even will, because the Braves really like they just won't go away. I wouldn't even be surprised, honestly, if like we got to a situation where the division still wasn't decided after that Atlanta series. And it was still a one to two game uh, threshold between the two teams. Uh, They're absolutely not going to clinch in time. Uh, We got one out here. Yeah, we got one out in this game. I 
I think if you were to ask the guys in the clubhouse, specifically those the the veteran types, the Lindors and you know Scherzers, the guys who have been there before, um, the guys who are in those leadership positions on these teams on on this team, I think they would all give you kind of the same stock answer and and say, you know, there's still work to be done. And, you know, it's still the regular season. We still got two weeks left. We haven't won the division yet. And uh, we haven't won anything yet. You know, it's we, and, and in terms of the fact that we'll be in the postseason, you know, confirm now that's, you know, I'm sure nice for them to know, but they'll, in regards to that, they'll tell you the same thing too, is we expect it to be there and we've known that we will be there and we, didn't really have any concerns that we wouldn't be there, you know, after the season started and we got off to such a great start in the first couple of months of the season, they'll tell you the same thing. So I, I think as what just happened there. Hey, that was, it's seven to two. Why are we backpicking? Well, I don't think, I think uh, Tomas Nito was the only one of that, that tandem who was involved in the back pick there just wanted to keep him sharp. He just wanted to throw him a ground ball, keep him, keep him on, on his toes. That was basically if, I mean, I'm sure everyone's watching it. Uh, I guess Nito just threw it back to second thinking maybe that like Lindor would be there to make a play on Yelich, even though Yelich was like barely leading off the bag at all. Um, just kind of an awkward play. Didn't have any, you know, Lindor caught it about six inches shy of the outfield. Oh. Like, and the yellow's just stole third. I mean, that might okay. be defensive indifference, but sure. I am I'm very indifferent to what's happening here. That's fair. Um see the thing too, my other thing, and maybe this is just like me flying too close to the sun as a fan and chasing, like, you know, gilding the lily, even just like trying to get too happy of an ending. But like I I like I said before, I think that we've been known to the idea that we're going to be going to the playoffs for a little while now and it's I think even last week after they got swept by the Cubs no one in their right mind was saying like this team is not going to make the playoffs like I think we know that the birth was just a matter of time um I really want to see I really just I really not only do I want this team to win and succeed to the point where they're making the playoffs I I want them to beat the Braves like I actually want them to have a a team that they actually finish above and and get out on top of um struck out uh rowdy Telez. so that's two outs one away baby one away from our playoff spot how many Mets fans do you think there are in that building like relative to when they clinched in cincinnati and like it was only Mets fans there i feel like this is kind of just like a steve cohen's there but like i, I don't i would envision that this is like a pretty standard road sized crowd yeah. for Mets. Like I feel like the Mets have a larger road crowd contingent than a lot of fan bases, but I imagine this is a pretty run in the mill Mets uh, road crowd. If like they have a chance to clinch in Atlanta, um, then I feel like you'll get a lot, a lot of Mets fans that will go for that. Just like Cincinnati. I don't know. I like, I'm, I'm not indifferent to the fact that they're about to clinch a playoff spot like it's cool it's the first time it's happened since 2016 but i i don't want to celebrate until like, i don't want to celebrate celebrate until it's really earned yeah you know like the way i see it is that if they don't win the division 
but they win a wild card series, like go celebrate after the wild card series. Right. Let that, let that be your acknowledgement. And if they don't win the division and they don't win a wild card series, as Renfro is down one and two, the Brewers are down to their final strike. Um, if they don't win the division and they don't make it past the wild card round, you know what? Maybe this team didn't deserve to celebrate in the first place because trophies won in the regular season are not trophies at all. Um, yeah, yeah I remember just... when they clinched the wild card and then like got swept by the Giants? The le- oh, did he go? He didn't go. Um, the last time they went to the uh, the playoffs, and like, like I don't even consider that really like the playoffs. I know that it's technically the playoffs, and I probably mentioned this at least like once every five or six episodes. But like realistically, it was very funny that they like you know it wasn't even that they celebrated like clinching home field advantage. They celebrated like just barely get up. Oh, there it is. There it is. Let's see what they do. Let's see. It looks very subdued. It's very business as usual. Starling's is, happy. Starling is happy. There's hugs. It would, yeah. I I think, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, remember like when they practiced celebrating uh, winning the World Series? or whatever like you can definitely overdo this and set yourself up to get laughed at like it would be embarrassing if they celebrated clinching the birth and then they stumble all the way through and lose to the braves yeah it's it's at a certain level like you gotta you gotta act like you've been there before at a certain level yeah like this is the highest level of this sport and you gotta act like you've been there before that i think that the 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 spring training thing a couple years back was like i think mets fans were like that's that's cool yeah look at this team but everyone around the league was like that's really dumb and in retrospect because that team didn't even make the playoffs it was it was pretty pretty dumb um but this this is like a standard high five line situation like you could tell like guys are happy maybe even a little happier than normal after a win yeah they're definitely acknowledging they're definitely acknowledging an accomplishment which makes me happy. Pete, uh, Pete of everyone, Pete seems the most jazzed to be going to the playoffs. Lindor, oh, Lindor and Buck are hugging right now. Like, oh. Lindor's very excited too. These guys, this is such a good team. Starling Marte just tried to lift Buck off the ground. Yeah. Starling, you're great. I love you. Work on the hand. Um, but yeah, I mean, Buck is very happy. This team is ecstatic right now. I it's not a dog pile, but you can tell Buck is smiling. This team is they're they're thrilled. They're very very thrilled. And even though it's not, you know, the end of the work to be done in the regular season, you can tell that this is a, an important level of payoff for these guys. Yeah. No, it's it's. You really, I think, we hear the words, it's a long season, so often um, that it almost starts to lose its meaning. And we almost always hear it at the beginning of the year, so we don't even believe it. We dismiss it. But, like, it's been a very long season. I can, you know, I've probably forgotten, like, at least seven or eight highlights that I'll just remember, you know, as, as the videos start to come in later. But, like, you know, they've really they've really like floored it this year. They've gone full speed, like the entire way through. I mean, that Cubs series last week being the first time they even got swept in a three game series, like all year, like 
Oh man, they could have oh, they could have clinched at home if they won one freaking game in that series. Yeah. Uh I mean, yes, that's that's like that's definitely like but I mean the bigger point I'm trying to make is just that like they've been really good the entire year. They're the third best team in baseball right now. Um record-wise. And it's they've been top five pretty much like every day since the middle of April. Uh I'm 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 honestly like I don't think I'm at a point where I'm getting emotional really just because like this has been a long time coming, but just to actually, I think, reflect on how much time has gone by and just how long they've sustained this kind of performance is, I mean, they're now 39 games over 500. They're 94 and 55. Um, That's crazy to think about. That's like, I think the most they've ever been over 500 at any point um, since like 1988. Uh, And this is, probably the earliest they've clinched. Oh, I guess they clinched earlier in, in 2006, maybe, but like they've, they really put the, they really put the pedal to the metal. They, 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 they deserve this. I'm really happy for him. These guys. Oh, and the Gelbs is doing his interviews. He just got Pete and Lindor. And I, I, I assume you also have this on mute right now. Yeah. So I won't, but uh, now they've got, now they've got Nemo who, I believe is the longest tenured Met. And I think uh, besides the longest tenured position player, maybe. Yeah. Because I think outside of DeGrom, he's the only other guy that was here in 2016 in some capacity. And I I would have to check, but I don't think he was on that wildcard roster. He wasn't. They, they left him off. They gave, uh, they gave spots to like, I think Conforto had a spot, but he didn't play um the starting outfielders yeah that there are there aren't that many people on that playoff roster that uh are we, even still in we should totally revisit this i think maybe this should be our remembering guys later is who was on that 2016 team that's worth remembering i don't know it was i mean granderson played center in that game and yeah addison reed setup man which it's crazy El- to think that elite setup man don't discredit addison yeah he I'm not discrediting. A... You said worth remembering. That is very much worth remembering. Oh, well, yes, absolutely worth remembering. I was more so meaning the, like, remembering in, like, our normal context of remembering, sure. guys. But, um, I mean, Addison Reed was so good that year. He's absolutely worth remembering in general. But, uh, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. This is cool. It uh, doesn't look like there's any champagne no, there's um, well, they're wearing shirts. They're wearing postseason shirts. I don't know if you saw that. They had postseason shirts that they were wearing. Oh, I didn't. I didn't catch the shirt. Oh, but, you would... know the thing is, like, they definitely would have, like, I think, made a, a good deal of like pomp and circumstance around the fact that there was champagne in the clubhouse. If there was going to be champagne in the clubhouse, I mean, I don't know. Maybe also they're keeping it low key. Maybe they don't want a camera crew in there. I don't know. That's. If they do throw a party, it's gonna be very hard to like keep that under wraps. But I also just don't think that that's what's like what's happening, and it's it wouldn't be like befitting of the team this year. I mean, there's we have a whole Sports Illustrated article that we could talk about comparing this year's team to last year's team. But I think what you mentioned with them celebrating, uh, pretending to celebrate winning the World Series at the beginning of 2021, it was just like in hindsight, it was 
only ever going to produce bad things for them. It was only ever going to be viewed as corny and it was only ever going to bite them in the ass. And like, I think they know not to act like that in part because they have smarter guys there in part because they've just adopted an approach to the way they play the game. That's gotten them as far as it has call for that. Um, this is, this is cool. I, I mean, yeah, just in general. Also, I want to first of all, the the Mets put out a graphic, October bound graphic, whatever you want to call it. it. Says these Mets on it with a hashtag these Mets, which like, yeah, these Mets. That's right. We got everyone on this graphic. We got everyone. We got Jankowski. We do not have Jankowski. We have everyone I everyone to an extent because I'm seeing Vogelback is here. Tommy Hunter is on here. Terrence Gore is on here. Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty are on here. Drew you know Smith who? is there. Drew Smith is here. I don't see Tyler Naquin. Naquin is... They have Gore. Why is Gore there? They have... I mean, Gore... Sunday stuff was cool, but like... Yeah, no, I totally, but Naquin, like, that's... Michael Givens is here. Like, Tyler McGill has been out for three months and just got activated today. And we're Vientos we're not putting Tyler Naquin. Naquin on? I don't think Vientos is going to be on the postseason roster either. Like, we did a little bit of a, is Mark Vientos good thing last week? And, like, probably isn't ready yet. Um, not that that's the point of this episode or anything. But, yeah, I literally, I think they forgot Naquin. Thing they forgot about him um wow that's yeah i don't know also adafino's head is so small like relative to everyone else they just tucked a couple little teeny tiny heads in there do you notice that yeah like between bassett and givens like yeah and lugo's tiny i don't know i mean i'm very i'm very happy for him i think now the fun part is twofold it's Beating the Braves and dancing on a grave, hopefully, you know, inshallah, if everything goes well, we'll be doing that. Um, and then you have figuring out what this postseason roster is going to look like, who the pitchers are going to be, uh, who you carry on your bench, uh, whether Starling Marte is going to be in the picture or not. Um, you know, how far you're going to stretch guys like DeGrom and Scherzer out. Scherzer only went six today on 68 pitches. I'm very inclined to believe that this has to do with not only the Atlanta series coming up and not overextending him before then, but also not overextending him in any start leading up to the postseason. Cause he's had two IL stints. He is like 38 years old. You do need to exercise caution with him. Um, there's going to be a lot of room for those kinds of discussions. Um, and adjacently discussions about what you do with Tyler McGill, where Drew Smith fits in here. Um, I mean, Joey Lucchese might even enter this conversation at some point if his rehab continues to go well and they decide that they want to give him a look. Although I don't know what you do with, you know, the active roster for that, but like there's, there's a lot happening with the auditions are starting auditions are beginning. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be here. The Mets are going to have at least three playoff games. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, at least, Wait, check that. At least two players. The, the wild card round is a best of three, not a best of five, right? It's best of three, but the home team, the better team gets all three games at home. That's sick. Okay. And, I mean, I don't think there's really 
I don't think the Cardinals really have much of a chance to catch up for the three seed. They're four and a half back. Uh, I think it's there was a or no, it's not four and a half. It's like worst at its most uncomfortable earlier this week. It was four and a half. I'm reading the script wrong. Um, I think right now the Cardinals are 87 and 61. They're six and a half behind the Mets. Like, and it's not even 17 games left to play at this point. Uh, it's like 13. Like the Mets aren't going to collapse so badly that they fork over a three spot. They're either, you know, they're either getting the wild card and they're and they get the four by default, or like not forking over the three spot, forking over the two. If they win the division, they will absolutely get the two. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they. Yeah, they have to get the. T- I mean, I, I. Again, it's a matter of if the Cardinals like go on a tear and catch up to the Mets in terms of how the seating's going to work out in those top three spots, top four spots, really, because Atlanta is going to be right there too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Mets are either going to be the two or the three spot. Uh, it looks like in the playoffs, um, still work to be done. I do want to, uh, I guess, point something out that I realized and I think is pretty cool and pretty, I think it's apropos of like the entire experience of not just the season, but the last 10, 11 months uh, in general, more or less with this organization that um, obviously this is year two of the Steve Cohen regime, but it's really in a lot of regards year one of it because this he didn't get a full off season he didn't really get the full reins to change things over um with the team in that first season uh and so there was a lot in that first season that was kind of involved as a result of the change of the guard and now this season starting last off season obviously we had to find you know we had to bring Billy Epler in and that was a long saga but i think it's really apropos of the change in the guard with Steve Cohen coming in that on the night, the Mets return to the playoffs, who is the guy that leads them to that clinch, but the future hall of famer who Cohen brought in, who Cohen wanted and stopped at nothing to, to get winning his 200th career game. And doing it with six perfect innings, I think that feels pretty apropos. And and uh, I, I feel like a good little bow on this first year, first real year of the Steve Cohen experience. I'm not one of those guys that's like a Steve Cohen. Like, I'm not going to call him Uncle Stevie or whatever. Like, I don't think he's the savior. But yeah. it's it's pretty clear that the turnaround this team has made, um, I don't think happens either period or nearly as fast as it did um if if we're still under the previous ownership group oh absolutely not there would be so many things going wrong with this team i mean there's a whole like alternate timeline that i'd rather not even consider opening up just yet maybe at the end of the year if they win the world series we can like joke about it a little bit but it feels like bad juju to do that now um i think though that yeah the scherzer the fact that Scherzer is the guy who basically led them, it reminds me a lot of just in a narrative sense in 2015 when they clinched the division in Cincinnati. And 
I think, I don't know how well you remember this game, like the sequence of events, but they got off to a very early lead and basically never looked back because the Reds were a bad team with bad pitching. And I think for most people, at least for me watching that game, it felt very much like it was going to be a win, but there wasn't really like a moment where it was like, all right, like this team is really special and they're having a special moment on the special day until David Wright hit his home run in the ninth inning. And of course this made it like, it, it, it was a three run homer that turned a seven to two game into like a 10 to two blowout. Like really there was nothing about that home run that drilled home. Like, Hey, now they're going to win, but it drills home an idea that like, it's not going to be like other years. It's not like 2014 where Wright misses the end of the year because he's injured. It's not like a year where he plays really well, but everyone around him doesn't and they collapse. Like, it's very, I think, along the same lines with Scherzer in that you're looking at someone performing and something happening that doesn't usually happen uh, for us as Met fans on a day that very seldom uh, we get to celebrate. And that's a playoff berth. Um, I wanna just, before we move on, I wanna thank Steven Matz uh, for signing with the Cardinals and triggering literally all of this. Like, I think that was above all else the thing that set this off. I think he deserves a ring at the end of the year. I think it would be really funny if they sent him a ring. Um, he probably would not find it very funny, but uh, yeah, dude. I mean, it, and there have been, a, I think a couple of moments where it, it kind of dawns on you that like Max Scherzer is a Met, but I think there is not any moment in the year that, that hits you quite like this one um, with as much coming at you at once uh, the way it is right now. And I mean, he's had injuries. He's been hurt twice uh, when the oblique thing happened. I, for one, was very convinced that this was just like the Met ripple effect and like, you know, they were good and then the good player got hurt and everything was going to, it was like when Lindor, you know, pulled his oblique or strained it, right? And like that kind of threw them off the cliff. Like it felt a lot like that, but it just didn't, that, that alternate timeline never really came to be. And obviously I'm not going to say like, oh, you know, Max Scherzer came back just fine because of Steve, because Steve Cohen was the owner and not, you know, Jeff or Fred Wilpon, right? Like, that's not the point. I think the point is much more so that it's a changing of the guard and it's a changing of the experience of being a fan. Yeah. Um, the, the point is that Max Scherzer's not here if the ownership yeah. didn't change. Is that he's that's pitching, yeah. he's, he's pitching in uh, across town, maybe. I don't know. He's pitching in, in Los Angeles still somewhere. I don't Atlanta. know. It, in Atlanta, God forbid, maybe Houston. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I get, I get you. Uh, it's just, it's been such an, like a neat turnaround uh, yeah. and, and things haven't been perfect. Things haven't been perfect. You mentioned Max has been on the IL twice this year. I mean, they're, they're 94 and 55 now, but things have been far from perfect. They're, it's been, they're not the most dominant baseball team. They do it with a lot of winning series, winning two out of three. They won that seven or eight, you know, consecutive series to start the year without a sweep. And uh, it's just kind of, it, they're never, they never really feel like the, the team that is like the rolling stone down the hill that just continually gets faster and faster or the, the, the snowball that picks up more and more snow and gets bigger and bigger. It doesn't really feel like that. It feels like they'll get going and then they'll hit a wall and then they'll roll out from behind the wall and start picking up speed again and then hit another wall. But they're never behind that wall for more than one, two, three at most games. It's not been a perfect year, but uh, the, the team is built to win 
in the playoffs, I think. As long as the offense works and the and the, the bullpen isn't bad, I think that this this team is is built for something special. The path is easier if they win the division, which is work to be done. Uh, yeah. Before before we move on, I want to briefly issue a retraction to what I said earlier. Mark uh, 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 Tyler Naquin is in the graphic. I just okay. missed him. He's right by Mark Vientos. I missed him too. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Wait a second. I'm gonna look for this. Um. Yeah, I mean, I take it. I take it. Your word. Uh. Yeah, they're they are wearing shirts. They're blue shirts. Uh, that's not like usually what it is. That's usually like a gray. It's some sort of like, it's a color that actually like denotes like a, a clinching of some kind. It's not usually just your own team colors, but that's, that's like neither here nor there. I don't well, know. They're, not, they're celebrating, man. Like this is, celebrating. yeah, they, they're they, wearing, they're wearing shirts. They had champagne flutes out. They took a team photo, all everyone in their shirts. They're enjoying this. It's not a big celebration, but like, you know what? They 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 got the the clinch photo, which is what I'm looking at right now, and it's the photo yeah, of, of everyone in their shirts on the field of whatever team they clinched at. Um, everyone smiling and happy. A lot of backwards caps. Out outdoor ed was a success. Very outdoor ed vibes on this on this picture. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see like the scrum or whatever, like the actual uh eruption celebration if they do win the division like that's i think what i was what i sort of had in mind is like the clinching celebration because like in 2015 like they kind of you know they went pretty hard 2006 they went really really hard they probably went like too hard um but like i just remember them like running around with like paula duca running around the warning track like spraying fans with champagne the entire night um like that is going to be really interesting um, I mean, just really fun to, to, you know, imagine happening. And in, you know, in a world where they don't finish this up in Atlanta, right, they come back home for three games against the Nationals. Like, they haven't clinched anything. They haven't advanced to anything. They haven't cemented any, you know, playoff win, any, you know, series win, any division clinching, anything in front of their own fans since 2006. Like yeah. literally since I I've seen it happen once and that was it. The uh, only teams, the only teams to celebrate on City Fields soil are the Royals and the Giants. Yep. The only teams. The only times the Mets have ever celebrated anything remotely similar are the two no hitters. Was there a time last year that am I misremembering a team clinching? Like at City Field, um, like not an not a divisional team, but somebody clinching. It might have been the Cardinals clinching a playoff berth. I don't know. If uh, if it happened, it wasn't consequential enough to remember it. I don't know. But uh, I'm yeah, yeah. This is just cool. It's not. It's so neat when your team clinches anything. It's so neat. It's cool. I got. Mm-hmm. I went out in 2015, and I got all those shirts. I got all of them. And that, yeah, that, that game in Cincinnati was ripe with the narrative for David Wright with that home run. Right. But that was, if I remember correctly, the, the they had left some runners on earlier in that early in that game. And it was like, it's a foregone conclusion at that point, they were going to win the division, but it was like, all right, we want to, you know, get it done. We want to get it out of the way. And then I think in like the third or fourth inning, Lucas Duda hit a grand slam 
Yeah. Like it he had a laser earlier. But maybe it was a first inning grand slam. I don't remember, but it was it was within the first third or so of the game that he hit the grand slam. And just like all of the stress of the yeah. last almost decade of fandom, I think after he hit that grand slam, just like dissipated. Yeah. Well, this game kind of had that too, because Corbin Burns is a very good pitcher, right? Like, oh, yeah. This could have gone, this could have been like a, a real embarrassing. And sometimes you can, I think I've watched enough games this year where I can tell, like, I can absolutely tell when like their at bats are bad and like it's going to be bad um, against a pitcher. But like, that wasn't really happening. Of course, the, the bat can come at any time. Like, they can just have an inning where they really, really roll over and that just will be the vibe the rest of the night that that starter's out there. But, like, that didn't really happen. Like, Jeff McNeil had some good at-bats. They were were hitting some balls kind of hard off Burns, but he was, like, still, like, first time through the order, um, had faced the minimum, gave up an infield hit, got a double play ball to follow it, and was on, like, 40 pitches. And then in the fourth inning, second time through the order, Mets got a couple of guys on against him, and for whatever reason, he just decided to float a changeup on him, you know, on Pete that was down, but it had plate, and Pete covered it. Uh, and, yeah, with the way Max was thrown, it was like, all right, pack it in. And yeah. that's a great feeling. Yeah. You can when just you're... cruise control. I mean, we didn't have to do anything to prepare the pod. We were just like, all right, we're going to get it on the ninth inning, right? Like, I mean, this could have been like a zero-zero situation where, like, we were really on pins and needles trying to figure out if we were going to be talking about, like, clinching a playoff berth tonight or not. And here we are. We clinched a playoff berth. It's, it's a good time. And how did we get here? This past weekend was riding the ship after getting swept by the Cubs at home, which is a thing that happened by uh, sweeping the Pirates at home in a four-game series. Four game sweeps are always a very fun thing. And they did it with outstanding pitching. They did it with some timely hitting, some timely running. That's right. By Terran score in the fourth game of that series. Little man. They even sustained a few uh, knocks in the teeth in this series. I mean, the three run oh, yeah. home run that O'Neill Cruz hit off of uh, DeGrom in the fifth inning of the fourth game, that was wild that that happened and for a second it was like oh no yeah that had very roof caving in vibes just the way that we went from strikeout strikeout ka-ching ka-ching three run homer game is tied to ground out in the sixth inning like that had very like that could have actually prompted a lot of unbearable discourse where half of the fan base is saying that they wasted a prime opportunity to finish a job and the other half of the fan base is saying, well, they took three of four. What more do you want from them? Like, I am so glad. Like, that's an example, too, of, like, the experience changing from one year to the other. Like, they just finished the job anyway. Like, they didn't let that bother them. Um, I think last weekend we talked about how good Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker were and how solid uh, they the bounce-back performances that they had both turned in were. It was very much the same. This time around, Carrasco went six innings and struck out a you know season high eleven. Walker went seven and a third, right? Like these guys both have pretty much figured out and eliminated any question of 
how healthy they are right now, how much more they have in the tank. Like they both can clearly at least go deep into games now. I know the Pirates are not like a playoff team necessarily, right? But like if they're actually holding their own here. And I mean, like David Peterson was bad against the Cubs. Like you can get beat by bad teams. You can look bad against bad teams. It means something when you don't look bad, I think. Um, yeah, like you, it's yeah. big league. They're still big leaguers, you know? I mean, the Pirates are uh, not good, but like the Cubs, same, you know, uh, similarly, I think, are are not good, but like have a decent offense. Like the Pirates don't really have much of an offense, though they differ from the Cubs in so far as they have like one nuclear weapon yeah. that just like rears his head occasionally. And in the seven games against the Mets, O'Neill Cruz did a lot of damage. I think uh, my hot take is that the Pirates are a better team than the Cubs. Um, really? The Cubs don't have Brian Reynolds either. Obviously, the Cubs don't have O'Neill. Well, Cruz. Reynolds is having kind of a down year. In in terms of where he was like last year, I mean Wilson Contreras. Even, I know, yeah, but even I down year, I think even down and Contreras is going to be gone. Like Contreras is out of the picture basically at this point. Well, we're my, talking about right now. I thought. Well, Contreras is hurt and he's done for the year. No, I don't know if he's done for the year. I'm pretty sure the era of having Wilson Contreras on their team has basically like come and gone and listen right like brian reynolds might get traded too i don't want to bog us down in this too much i don't like, know i i, I would really, i would really say bad that's I my would, main point it's not that the pirates are good i think the cubs like getting swept by the cubs was like very it was not great yeah i like, would say i guess i don't know i would put reynolds roughly equivalent in terms of like value and like how good they are this year to like ian happ sure I, I, yeah, Hap is kind of having a good year too. He's I would take around eight, on my yeah. team before Hap, but I think that's fair though. That like, he turned around at a ground fastball in that series. Yeah. Um, that's a concern right now. Jake's, Jake's got a little bit of a home run problem though. Yeah. Jake kind of keeps getting up dingers. Yeah. Have you it's, seen his bond page? Oh, it's very pretty. Lots of red, lots of 99s and hundreds. Except for uh, average exit velo. And barrels, like it's literally if he just didn't make the bad pitch that leads to home runs, like it would be the model pitcher. But like, you know, we can't have everything. I'm not I'm not about to start a whole thing about how Jacob deGrom isn't that good. He he's very good. He shattered a 108-year-old record for Christ's sake. Like the guy is really good and he's gonna make a lot of money and we should continue to enjoy him. But the home run thing and no, the it's, it's home run. The home run thing is also um, a thing I think that's kind of happening with the um, thing he's been doing where he's getting a little less effective once he gets into like this, the 80 pitch range. Yeah. That's also, yeah. Cause they usually come late, right? Like the Swanson one came late His when he doesn't really look that good. It's usually, that's really the thing. It's not even a home run problem, I guess, with DeGrom. It's more so a finishing the the job problem. Like, he really hasn't gone out of a game yet on his own solid grounded terms, I would say. Like, a lot the, of them kind of ended. The Dodgers. Yeah. I would say the Dodgers start, where he went seven, gave up the one solo home run to Mookie. He almost gave hit. up two, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, like he didn't get pulled from that start sure. in the middle of an inning or like he didn't leave on really a sour note. Like 
he I got through yeah yeah with the nimmo catch helped but like he got through seven and then handed the reins over but like yeah i i, I don't know the stamina it's weird with Degrom, and i'm like a little concerned but because the results have overall been so good i'm not i'm not that concerned because i think i don't know whatever adjustments he needs to make i think i fully trust him to make them down the stretch um and like he was so he was so good in that. It was so weird because um, he was so good in that start for those five innings. 13 strikeouts in the first five innings. He struck out 13 of 15 batters. Yeah, it's just absurd. I couldn't believe it as it was happening. It just kept going. I mean, like, it's not that it surprised me, but like really, like it was really that good. And um, yeah, it's it's a bummer when like you just kind of give up a home run. I think that it wasn't even that. It was just it turned on a dime so quickly. It was like, all yeah. right, he got through the fifth. He has all these K's. He comes out for the sixth, and he can't put away Jason Delay. Yeah, Delay worked like an eight pitch at bat and then lined a single. Yeah. It's like what's up? What like where where does he where does he go? Like, you know, like where did the strikeout guy go? And then you're like, well, he's gonna get out of this, and then. He's having trouble. There's two guys on. He's having trouble put, putting Cruz away. And then he leaves a flat slider in the middle of the plate. And Cruz, Cruz hit a hit a, a home run that was a unicorn. It was only a home run in City Field. And I think he did it in the one area where that's possible. Yeah. That little tucked in area. Right Isn't in the front of the road bullpen. Yeah, they put the lottery thing on it. If you hit it there, you win like one lucky fan, like a fifteen thousand dollars or something because it's literally the hardest part of the park to hit it out to um but i mean the thing with Degrom really is that he even in those moments like i mentioned that streak it's a streak of three earned runs or fewer in like what is it like 200 consecutive starts 204 it's it's a lot he's he, he consistently literally every time 204 starts in a row he's given the team a chance to win um like, even when he's having his issues, I'm not concerned about the team losing because of Jacob DeGrom. I guess there are times where it's harder to win because DeGrom has trouble with something, but that's not nearly the same. Like, I think that right now, the, with the weekend that the pitching staff had, um, and to a lesser extent, the weekend that the, some of the hitters had, like, I think my mind is mostly at ease after that Cubs series. The, it, most of, I think, the... Oh, yeah, it feels like an aberration. Yeah. And again, it's another like four and three week for them. You know what I mean? It's just, it really, if you zoom out a little bit in a vacuum, it's the same week that the Mets have had like every week this season. Um, it just, it, it is a lot of whiplash and it's not, you know, the Braves aren't going away and they won't for a while. We say that every week, at least like five times an episode, but like they just, they just won't go away. They literally, I can't, I can't escape them. Well, the, the Mets have now won five in a row and the Braves had an off day sprinkled in there on Thursday, but like they've now won four in a row. So in this five game win streak, the Mets haven't gained any ground. And I think didn't they, they only lost a game of ground in the Cubs series. Like they were up one and a half and then yeah. they were up at the end of the Cubs series. They were only up a half game. That's right. And they gained the game back with the win on Thursday against the Pirates. Mm-hmm. And both teams have won every day since Thursday. So we're sitting at a game still. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, realistically, they could have gained games on the Braves. They should have. Because the Braves lost two or three to the Giants after dropping. I mean, they had a stretch where they lost like four or five. Like the Mets, that's like the one window that you have in like, what, like two, three months. And the Mets didn't really capitalize on it. Again, I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, crap on the Mets because they just clinched a playoff berth and like they've been great all year. And like, it's not like they're bad any, you know, that they're not good anymore, but like you could have gained ground there, I think. Um, and I, I'm sure that a lot of fans were staying up thinking about that one. Again, I think that as long as you finish them and, and you know, damn them to a wild card, it's fine. Um, I think really at the end of the day, as long as Braves fans are like really, really upset with these results, um, you know, at the end of the season, like that's that's good enough for me. Yeah, but I, I think want the, the instant gratification. I want know? the gratification. I, I think it's important, like, perspective to have that as frustrating as it is for us that the Braves never friggin' lose, the Braves fans, the they're equally frustrated because... Because yeah, we're getting lucky. Because we're quote-unquote getting lucky, but, like, because they... Feel it feels like they win every day, except for that stretch in Seattle and San Francisco. Like, feels like they win every freaking day, and they're always still looking up at us by one game. They can't crawl back and crawl past us. They've crawled even with us once. They had one day alongside us at the top, and they can't crawl past us. And that, yeah, as frustrating as it is for us that we can't create distance, it is equally frustrating for them that they can't get above us as of right now. So Um, what you're saying is like, when I look in the mirror, uh, there are two versions of me and one is a Braves fan and one's a Mets fan. They're really just like us. Is that, is that, is that the, uh, are we just, you know, there are two wolves within you and one is hungry. And this is my let's eat face. And one, I don't have a second part to that joke, but, he needs a second joke. Cannon needs a second one. He, this is my let's eat face. And then there's got to be a second meme that we can use for, I don't know. It's it's yet to be unlocked. It's like one of those memes you see on Reddit at the beginning of a year where they're like, you know, the meme calendar just dropped. Like we'll get, we'll get the October Cannon meme soon, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be Cannon. It just has to be applicable for our purposes here. Um yeah, I, I was just saying that it's it's equally frustrating for them, be, which is an important perspective for us to have, because that that makes it a little more fun. Yeah, each time, each time that we both win on the same day, that makes it a little more fun. Um, however, it's it's not very fun that the Brewers didn't look good today, but you know we got a, a lefty like Aaron Ashby's not is coming off the IL tomorrow and like probably isn't going to go deep into the game, but he's still not exactly the kind of pitcher that the Mets do well against. He's a lefty. He's got some gross stuff. Well, they're going to bat Vientos five and rough six, you oh, know, wow. Get, like that's just, that's inevitable. Hungover Pete off day. Yeah. Potentially polar bear. Uh, yeah. Um, they're sleeping, hibernating, etc. Yes. Yeah. So who knows how the rest of the series goes? They're still, right. the Brewers are still, even after they're lost nine games over 500, they're a potential playoff team. And um, 
who knows? Who knows how things go with the rest of this series? So we got to stay dil- uh, diligent because the Mets, like I thought it was so funny tonight, like the Mets get matched up against the reigning Cy Young Award winner. I know they beat him, but at the beginning of the day, you're like, oh, God, we got to face Corbin Burns today. And not only do we have to face Corbin Burns today, but you look across the the docket today, and who do the Braves get? The Braves start a series at home against the Fredericksburg Nationals. Yeah. You know who's pitching tomorrow for them, right? No, I don't. Patrick Corbin. It's Patrick Corbin. Oh, my God. Patrick Corbin. Corbin is going to give up the longest home run to Austin Riley in recorded history. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to. I mean, he's at 18 losses, and he realistically has two starts left. I would really like the Nationals to beat the Braves. 20. Um, But if Patrick Corbin does get to 20 losses, uh, like, it's it's – it's not the worst thing. I'll say that. And I'm also not expecting the Nationals to, like, beat the Braves anyway. So I might as well, like, have some fun with it. Like, I don't know. It would just it, – it's – I don't know. It's probably unfair to Nationals fans to wish that on them because they really have just been beaten up. I think for – honestly, part of my thing as a Met fan is that, like, watching this division happen, like, you look at a team like the Nationals who just won the World Series, and most of their fans are perfectly content with the fact that they, I shouldn't say that they're content. That's probably, I shouldn't speak for them. I think for a lot of them, the experience of winning in 2019 made losing as badly as they did in 2020 and 2021, like a little bit. Okay. Like, cause you, you mortgaged a lot of things to make that happen. Right. Obviously now it's a little bit embarrassing and they're trying to sell like now it's run its course, but then you look at the Braves who won the World Series last year and they're like trying to win the World Series again this year. They're like, like aggressively good. Right. Who do you think you are like trying to continue to do this? Like no one in the NL East gets to actually enjoy sustained success. Um, you are supposed to now do, you're supposed to get in line with the rest of us and lose for 10 more years. Like that's, this is what the Phillies did. It's what the Marlins have been doing for like 20 years. Um it's it's the nationals are extremely experiencing it right now i mean it's it's really i think for me that the the thing that and i keep saying the thing that's most frustrating but it is a bunch of different directions that it could go in really like it's also annoying that like you know this this kind of stuff happens to the mets and their fans like basically once every decade i don't like having to share the floor right now i want more sports illustrated articles about how like yassified our team is and how amazing it is and how unlike anything you've ever seen it is uh, without worrying that like people are going to write it off because the Braves could win two games in a row. The Mets could lose two games in a row. And that would be that, right? Like I, I, I think that we've kind of earned this and maybe that's naive to, to think in those terms, but like last year was really bad. The year before is just it doesn't even register in my memory because it's so statically awful. Like even 2019, which was, I think, for many people, like a fun, successful year. The first four months of that season were maybe some of the worst like I've ever seen. Um, I don't need to get into what the last two years after 2016 were like, but they were also really bad. Um, You know, we have to endure a specific kind of suffering to get our meal at the end of the line. And like, I I would very much like to just enjoy my meal right now. And the Braves have just, I mean, why, how hard is it for them to, you know, have lost five more games? 
That's it. That's all. I'm not asking for a lot. You could shave one win off of like how many of the seven game winning streaks that they've gone on. Just shave one win off of those. Have a bunch of six game winning streaks, right? And and you know, in the scheme of things, maybe it adds up a little bit, but they they wouldn't have noticed. It's like yeah. laundering. You're still You're making a wild card. It means and losses. You can you can give us that the division and make things a little easier for us and de-stress us by you know opening up a three or four game Mets division lead and still get the first wild card right yeah and you know what your reward is for getting the first wild card if you make it past that first round you get to play the dodgers they beat the dodgers last year like they'll just you know it, it shouldn't be a problem for them either they should be able to handle it they're big kids or whatever they're not lucky like the mets are yeah they should just go that road yeah they their aces are young not old. Dude, Kyle Wright has 19 wins. Have we talked about Kyle Wright having 19 wins? I know that wins and losses are a stupid statistic, and I've now used it twice in a span of five minutes. But, like, Kyle Wright has 19 wins. He's do, you remember how, do you remember what Kyle – like, Kyle Wright last year, like, do you remember what it was like watching him pitch? It's He's he's not very good. What What is – how much run uh, support does he get? I'll look it up. But his actual, like, his, you know, metrics are better than they have been in the past. Like, he's he has improved. He's gotten 19 wins because he's a better pitcher than he was last year. I just don't really know, like, how the light switches on like that. Like, he's got a 318 ERA. Um, I'm going to continue to look for that run support statistic. Um, 367 FIP isn't necessarily bad either. Um this is going to take a while. I And also, like, it's just going to make me mad to find it because I'm going through his game logs. Um, but, I mean, yeah, to go back to my other point just about, like, what this team has been through, like, I don't like sharing a stage right now. I thought the Sports Illustrated article about, like, I thought that was really, really great, but it probably would have reached a lot more people and I think resonated with people more if it were i think more abundantly clear that the mets were really good and not teetering on the brink of like losing a division right now so to speak because i think a lot of Mets fans think that way as it is much less fans around baseball um there's a lot of good stuff in it just simply about like before we dive into it i just want to bring your attention to uh, a tweet that i have just seen um, the uh-huh. Mets kept it fairly low key tonight. There are some fun photos going around. There's a picture of Dan Vogelback chilling with a beer in his hand. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Buck Showalter said uh, that he, they're keeping it low key tonight, but he said, "quote If we win the division, you will see me do something stupid." Please, I need. I I just I need Buck to go wild. I gotta see it. I need to see it. So I, we gotta will win. try and lift Starling Marte. That's what's gonna happen. Yes. We we got to see it. Uh, all right. Anyways, the article. It's a good article. It's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that like we heard at the beginning of last year about like how it's you know it's not your uncle's team or whatever like it's not the it's not the Wilpon Mets like there's a lot of stuff about how like you know Steve Cohen has a lot of money and the owners are really jealous of him and like you know we've kind of been there we've been through it but um, there is a lot of I think material in here that covers just what has changed within this clubhouse between last year and this year. Um, I think for us as fans, as, as sort of casual observers, 
the big thing would just be that like there's been so much turnover on the roster um you know max scherzer starling Marte, chris bassett eduardo escobar mark canna right like these are all you know adam Ottavino. these are all veterans who are new to this team who weren't here last year were generally respected across the game who've now come in and sort of taken up space that was once taken up by people who like got in fights with the media and and sort of maybe by accident maybe not by accident like went to war with the fans and like I will still probably defend Javi Baez a little bit just because like I think that fans were really really taking this stuff out on the wrong people like the front office was the reason that they were so dysfunctional last year more so than the players but also it helps to have players who know in trying times not to flash a thumbs down at people um, who know in trying times not to just like rage tweet at people or like tweets about media members that contain uh, uh, ethnic slurs. Uh, I mean, I, if you don't know about that, it's, it's, I'm talking about Marcus Stroman, but I won't go any further with it. Um, like there are just, you know, Noah Syndergaard too, I think was another sort of character who we kind of probably gave a pass to his fans because he was here for some really good years. But I think that also like, um, you know, some of the things that are mentioned in this article seem to be a little bit, not necessarily digs at him, but you can, you can sort of get the impression that like maybe him not being there makes it easier for them to be quote, like more professional, which Francisco Lindor is, uh that's that's the that's what that's the quote that i think he's sort of hanging on the wall of this article is that this year's team is more professional than last year's team um they've done a lot differently for that matter and a lot of it's front office stuff a lot of it is like you know a lot of it is putting in you know the technology and, and expanding the analytics department and actually improving the process in place but there is also i think a great deal just about I think the way that the players approach things um, with a much better idea of like how to win games uh, than, than in previous years. And it seems that it, you know, it, it, Tywin Walker said in the article starts with Buck. Yeah. It's, it's a Buck Showalter has kind of gotten rid of a lot of the distractions. It seems like uh, in the clubhouse, it's like it's first day there. He ran into Alex Cohen and, and, she said, what do you think? And he was like, uh, all these, all this crap on the walls of these inspirational sayings, they can go. You know, he said, I quote, I've never seen, I've never said, man, I became a better player because of something I read Winston Churchill said, or Aristotle say, oh, wow. I'm supposed to try, you know, like, getting rid of all that stuff stuff that's his he, he just wants people to, to go and, and have the one saying in mind play better so i think that that was also something that it was the changeover in the front office but the changeover in the clubhouse was i think equally important and yeah. that, that doesn't just mean the players to what you were saying earlier with getting rid of some of the more um maybe not as amicable personalities yeah yeah i mean i feel bad to an extent because to put a lot of the team's success on buck showalter's shoulders sort of indirectly 
puts failures on Luis Rojas. Um, I think ultimately this is the better hire. This is the more fit manager for this organization. And like the results speak for themselves, but um, you know, there were a lot of things I think about 2021 that like we wish could have gone better. And I think like Luis Rojas as manager was something that we really wanted uh, to, to like, and, and I think have fun with, and ultimately they needed to make like business centered decisions as well. And that was a very, business decision at least to move on from Rojas um hiring Buck Showalter was ultimately I think at the time we didn't think of it as as much of a business decision as much as an inclination to just go with the guy that people know but um it was it was I think really it fits their model they have a bunch of veteran players there who want a manager who knows how to quote unquote manage them the way they're used to you needed an experienced guy there and Buck Showalter made a lot more sense than, um, than some of the other options that were on the table, I would say. Um, and it turned out to be a pretty good deal. I personally like the quote. Um, this is um, in late July, Showalter felt it would be unhelpful to give his players the standard rah-rah speech before they faced NL Cy Young candidate Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. Listen, he said instead, we can't beat this guy. He's great. He's probably going to win every award. Let's go have some fun and nobody get hurt and kind of take in how great he is. I don't even know why we're going out there. Just go listen to the anthem and have some fun. The hitters howled with mock indignation. And that night, the Mets chased Alcantara after five innings and four runs and won six to four. That was the Nimmo game, by the way, um, when he hit the go-ahead homer, which yeah. probably is up there as the top five amazing finish. Like, Stuff like that. It's you can't really, I think, put it together if you're not in the clubhouse, like how one thing leads to another. But like there's clearly something there if it's in the article, just as far as like how those sort of moments and those sound bites really resonate with people and and, and make a difference. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. It made me appreciate Buck a lot more. I I totally agree. I think that it's just it's it's very pleasing as a fan. I think that there's really no other way to sum it up. It's just the team is good. The environment around the team is significantly improved from where it's been. Uh, the personnel is good. The The players are likable. The team is fun to watch on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and it, it feels much more like a cohesive viewing experience as a fan um, than it, it really ever has from start to finish in a season in my lifetime as a fan. And I think for the first time since 2006, from day one to game 162, uh, they'll have put together a, a regular season product that is worth a damn, you know, um, that never relents and makes us as a fan base feel great. And how it ends, we don't know, you know, stick with us. But um the vibes around this organization are much, much better than, than they've really ever been. Um, and I think that harkens back to what we were talking about earlier. We haven't even talked about Sandy Alderson stepping right. down from this organization, um, which, you know, it bears going into a little bit, but I don't think sure. it bears going into too much because it doesn't seem like this is a role that is going to be too integral um to the experience of a fan it's something that's important to a team 
they're looking for a more of a business advisory CEO type. This is not looking for a president of baseball operations like we've been, you know, yeah. like we did all last off season. Yeah, people have definitely fallen for that, I think. And for us, too, we probably, because we know Sandy Alderson is like a baseball mind, probably have assumed that he makes some baseball decisions. Like, and like he might, but they're not replacing him with the president of baseball operations. They're literally going to replace him with someone like, you know, Stan Caston of the Dodgers or Randy Levine of the Yankees. It's going to be someone who will help facilitate old timers day so that it will really be a success. You know what I mean? Like things that Sandy Alderson probably did a very good job of just like on the side, helping Steve Cohen with um, while also sort of serving as a spokesperson for the team in some capacity. Um, it's not a personnel move uh, that we tend to think of when we think of the front office though. So really like, I think it's the end of an era and that's important because everything we've talked about today is really about the end of eras um, or at least the start of different eras. Um, this is one that, Really, it only lasted like two years. It felt like a long two years. And there were a lot of like, there it, were a lot of hangups. It kind of coincides exactly with what we figured we'd get out of Sandy in the start of the Steve yeah. Cohen era, is that Sandy was attached to this regime when they came in um, so that some of the other owners around the league were a little less apprehensive about giving Steve Cohen and his money, the reins to an organization, having a valued baseball mind to kind of, I don't want to say keep him in his place, but keep him more in check rather than yeah. spinning willy nilly or whatever you want to say. So from Sandy being Steve's advisor in this endeavor of owning a, a franchise for the first time, I think that, the two years it was given more or less is exactly correct. And even in the last year, Sandy has moved more to the background of things. Yeah. He was, it's been Epler's show. I mean, he wasn't really making baseball decisions anyways. Um, and he's getting up there in age and we know he's had his health problems and it's probably long past time for Sandy to kind of fade into the background and, and more or less retire. And that's what this is. This is, you know, his contract was set to expire and he's probably going to leave the team anyways. And, well, no, he's staying. It's an well, advisory he's, he's role. staying in an advisory role, but I mean, how involved is he going to be as an advisor? I mean, David Wright is a special advisor to the team, and you know, like those are those advisor roles can sometimes be just kind of fluffy titles that you know yeah. they come in for a meeting once a month or once every couple of months, and I don't know. I, I don't really know how those those situations work, but like he's part of the organization, but he's faded in the background. He's not fired, but he's not retired, but he's no longer in the same position. He's no longer in a position of significant power in the front office. And there will be a new name that will um, facilitate a lot of the business side, administrative, transactional stuff that baseball fans don't often see. And yeah. also, like you said, kind of act as um, a, another mouthpiece for this, this organization at the top level. Yeah. Well said. That's yeah. It's not, this is also, I think it's important to note, this is not going to be, nor will it. I don't. I don't think it's going to be David Sturts. You know. No. No. No way. They've already kind of thrown fire or thrown water on that fire almost immediately. They're not. They're conducting interviews, but you know they're not talking to anyone who's currently employed by a major league baseball team because, as we went through last off season, you can't do that mm -hmm. um, unless you have permission, and you can't get permission until a team is no longer playing, and the playoffs haven't even started yet. So clearly, 
and also you're not Sterling's... getting permission if you're if you're Steve Cohen. That's yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we saw I mean, a guy who was a, a candidate last offseason got plucked by a different team today, literally today. Scott Harris, um, who was the Giants GM, and now he's going to be the president of baseball operations with the Tigers. Um, uh, yeah, it's this is not going to be David Stearns, even though you know David Stearns also can't leave his contract unless the Brewers make the World Series. That's the other part. That's made that a little harder for them today, didn't they? Yes. Imagine this is like the the sort of the tip of the, uh, you know, the sort of the small domino that leads to the big domino. It won't be. But like one can one can, you know, one can imagine, imagine things. Yeah. So don't go anticipating that this is going to be a, a name you've heard of or some important baseball person. And I don't know. Billy Upler's show. They're just bringing in someone to aid on the, the business side. I, it, it is what it, you know, this is, it's important to the team, but your purposes as a fan listening to this, it, it's never really going to matter that much to you. I want to say, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And I also think like if, if the person that were president right now, weren't Sandy Alderson, we probably wouldn't be so quick to like pin things on the president the team president like when things weren't going well um but like we have a i think we have a clear sense of like what sandy's mo had been as a gm and as a you know president of baseball operations that it made sense to like blame him for things like i get it um but ultimately at this stage it is kind of just like a very quiet transition of power that i think probably we won't really notice a whole lot um let's uh let's remember some guys i think and uh and uh, get out of here okay remember guys we'll we'll do that and then uh we'll wrap up this i said it earlier i'm gonna stick with it i think we should go with the last time the mets made the playoffs and what better way you know what better way to start with this 2016 team than a guy who apparently hit like 343 for the long island ducks this year I think he won the batting title in that year in that league that the Ducks play in. Can you can you guess who this is? You didn't see this. I no, I, mean, I I have at least like three hitters in mind here. Um, T.J. Rivera. It was not T.J. Rivera. Alejandro Deaza. It was Alejandro Deaza. Correct. Um, God. Alejandro Deaza, who hit 205 with a 618 OPS in 130 games played. A hundred and he got into 130 games for a team that made the playoffs. Dude, Terry loved to bat him second. He only he only got about twice the amount of at bats as he got into games. He had 267 plate appearances um but that is thank god for that right i mean still for 130 games that's like the almost that's the whole season as a bench player yeah i mean they were kind of confused when they signed him if i'm remembering correctly like they they signed him in the offseason before they got cespedes or you know brought cespedes back and people were very unhappy at the the prospect that like they were going to replace i mean that is so much worse than any guy they replaced zach wheeler with to replace like your best offensive player that year with alejandro deaza would have just been like like 
inexcusable. Um, luckily, they didn't they didn't really end up doing that because they kept Cespedes. But I do remember him having a, a little bit of a hard time hitting. Um, good defender, but also like you know you have a center fielder who can't really hit but can play good defense and bats from the left side, like in your manager's Terry Collins, he's going to bat second a lot. And he batted second a lot, like way more than he ever should have. And it um, wasn't, it wasn't even his last job as a big leaguer. Right. He got into 28 games in 2017 with the nationals. Anyways, yeah. he's 38 now and he hit 340 or something for the long Island ducks this year. So good on you, Alejandro de Aza. I don't know if you were keeping in the same vein. A little. I mean, I, I picked someone who was technically on the playoff roster. I guess de Aza was too. Yeah, you know what he was. They both were. Um, I'm, I'm realizing we, we haven't remembered Robert Gesellman in a second, if at all. Oh, my goodness. The newest, member of the, the newest member of the Nippon Professional Baseball League? That's right. The Yokohama Bay Stars, Robert Kasselman. Uh Started the year of the Cubs. I really wanted things to go well for him. Uh, I just didn't seem like they really did. But a lot of guys who end up going far east, like they end up figuring something out. And hopefully he does, too. Um, he was huge for them down the stretch in 2016. Um, really part of why that year like doesn't really register with me the same way as like 2015 or 2006 or like any other playoff year. It's not even just the fact that they didn't go very far, but just the idea that like the, the roster at the beginning of the year and the roster at the end of that year were so far apart from one another that like, you know, you, you really were like rooting for the Las Vegas 51s because Salmon was one of the only players who really, I think, came through like pitching wise it was him and Seth Lugo um and they ultimately chose him for their playoff roster over Lugo and if I remember reading uh in preparation for this podcast because I did want to do I knew I wanted to do a 2016 guy they were planning to start Gaselman in the first game of the division series against the Cubs if they had advanced uh which would have I mean they would have been mauled by the Cubs right like I think that that's the other aspect of this too. It's just that like, you know, really like we would have been rooting for a team that was not going to win the world series. Um, But you commend them for the effort that they put in, right? Because it was a very difficult, they had so many obstacles that year, right? David Wright missed most of that year because he had surgery uh, on like a herniated disc in his neck. Um, I think Matt's, ended up missing the last month of the year. DeGrom missed the last month of the year. Wheeler never pitched that year. Um, Neil Walker had a back problem. Harvey missed half the year. Yeah, Harvey missed half the year with TOS. And he was terrible when he was on the the mound. Right, yeah, like he wasn't even the guy. Um, They really, like, that was a year that it's, they really, it really could have gone miserably for them um, if the depth pieces that they called on hadn't performed as well as they did. I mean, obviously we know Ty Kelly fairly well. He contributed a great deal to that team. TJ Rivera contributed a lot, but Lugo and Gasselman really were like glue that held that the end, the ends of that rotation together behind like Cologne and Cindergaard. Cause there was nothing behind them. Like it was like, it was 
it really was a miracle that they made it. I credit them with making it, but I don't like to think about it. Like it's, it's, you know, it's this uh, upper echelon of elite Mets teams because they made the playoffs. There are a lot of Mets teams that missed the playoffs that would kick that team's ass. Oh, absolutely. This is just, this is like a who's who of just like dudes that you don't, I, that such a Terry Collins team too, because you look at the bullpen of this team and like, Oh my God! You look at the top names in this bullpen. First yeah. of all, this is fascinating. They had three guys in that bullpen who finished with the identical amount of innings pitched, and it was the three most used guys: Familia, Addison Reed, and Hansel Robles. All pitched exactly seventy-seven and two-thirds innings. That's wild. That's that's not really, an expert. That's, that's a master class. That's truly wild. Also. Jerry Blevins was they, – they had three guys eclipse 65 games. Check that. They had three guys – or four guys – I mean, not three guys. They had four guys eclipse 50 games out of the bullpen. Right. And it was those three, Familia, Reed, and Robles, with 77 and two-thirds innings apiece. Um, and then Jerry Blevins, who appeared in 73 games and pitched 42 innings. Like, definition – Yeah. Definition loogie there with jerry and then nobody else in the bullpen um who was like a pure reliever yeah um pitched more than like 35 innings you had gaselman who only pitched out of the bullpen once right who made seven starts you had lugo who had 17 appearances eight starts and you had logan verrett who made 35 appearances and 12 were starts what were gaselman's stats that year I remember them being pretty good. They like, were good. 2.42 ERA across 44 and two-thirds innings. Gave up about a hit per inning, 42 hits, um, but only gave up one home run and struck out a shade under a batter per inning. Yeah. And his walk I totals were like – his walk totals were okay too, 15 walks. I thought it was the real deal. I'll be honest. That was it, – it's in hindsight, I would never look at a sinker guy who who, you know, was pitching to like – fairly bad teams and think like that guy's the future but like i was very excited to see what he had the following year and ultimately like he kind of just he just kind of got beat you know and that's that's sort of the way it happens i mean that team in general after 2016 they got beat pretty bad not many of them survived right it's it's literally just a grom and nimmo and if you want to count dominic smith from 2017 you can He's having a good time in AAA right now, but I don't think he really has a path back. If he, yeah, ever I, don't, I don't know what's happening there. I mean, the usual, done in New York. We can just take a quick second before we wrap up, though, to like just scroll up and down this roster one time briefly. The registered yeah. uh, third baseman for this team, like BRF, like picks the player who played the most at that position and creates like a little starting lineup. The third baseman on this team, Jose Reyes. They only played 60 games, yeah. but, like, third base was, like, a constant. It was really more Wilmer Flores, but, like, still they, just kind of a rotating. David Wright only played 37 games that year. Um, how many did Soup play? Eric Campbell played in 40 games. Okay. That's 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 a non-negligible amount of games. Ty Kelly played in 39. We got, that four, we got four games of Gavin Shakini. We got eight games of Justin Ruggiano. Matt Reynolds. 
we got plenty of Matt Reynolds. We got 47 games of Matt Reynolds. We had Lucas Duda was injured. That was another thing. Ligaris couldn't stay healthy that year. Plowecki had some injury issues that year. Um, oh, yeah, that was the Rene Rivera, James Loney year. They really had to dig in. To we get got 100 him. games out of James Loney, yes. Yeah, that, that was a Terry Collins. Oh, Darn, yeah, Darno had injury issues. He only played in 75 games, but that was par for the course with him when he was a Met. Right. Yeah, Rene Rivera played in 65 games for this team. They had Jay Bruce, too, right? They traded for Jay Bruce that year. Yes, but and he was terrible. Yeah, he didn't play very well. 685 OPS across 50 games. He only – he hit eight homers. Yeah. They really got – they really got pushed to their limit. Um, yeah. There was some uh, some Rafael Montero going on. There was some Ga- Gabriel Enoa going on. Yeah. Josh Smoker. That was the year of Addison Reed. Yeah. Like – him and Familia at the back end of the bullpen were like legitimately good that year. And Robles was like fine. Jerry Blevins was pretty good. Um, but like the rest of the bullpen just wasn't good. I mean, Fernando Salas was good, but then he got hurt. Right? Salas I don't think he got no, they like traded for him. I'm pretty sure he just pitched the last month of the year. Or oh, something. that's what it was. Cause and then 17 they brought him back and he started good. Bad. Yeah, I mean he I don't even think he ended up getting an injury list like stint. They just made him pitch through it and it never got better, which, you know, I mean, that was par for the course for the old team. And like, it's really bad way to treat a player, um, particularly a pitcher who was like 32. Yeah, um, but yeah, they, they got him from the angels in 2016, 17 games, you had ERA floating around two flat. So he was pretty good down the stretch for them. Uh, and then came back in 2017 and pitched to a 6.0 ERA in 48 games for the Mets. And John got... Neese was there for a second too, right? Like they traded yeah. for John Neese had like 11 innings. Exactly 11 innings. Jeez. Okay. Sean Gilmartin. Antonio Bastardo was on this team for a spell. They traded Bastardo for Neese. That's right. Yeah. That was... 41 games. Going back to Jay Bruce for a second, do you remember what that trade almost was? Nimmo, right? Yeah, it was going to be Nimmo for Bruce, which would have been like, I mean, it's not to say the Reds would have known what to do with Nimmo, but like we wouldn't have had Brandon Nimmo. Like, like that would have been horrible. They ended up trading Dilson Herrera, who had a couple nice little moments for the Reds, but probably didn't perform too like everyone's expectations. Dilson had some shoulder stuff going on, if I remember. He's still like I, he's still like twenty nine years old, right? Like he's not done by any stretch. He probably little... doesn't have much of a future in Major League Baseball, but yeah, this was also literally twenty eight years old. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. He came up when he was like twenty, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was also the year the twenty. The this was a. The year where we got the, the surprisingly kind of very productive middle infield of Neil Walker and Struble Cabrera, which was fun. Oh, his Struble was awesome. That was so strange to me seeing a shortstop who could hit after like six years of Ruben Tejada. Like, didn't think it was possible, but like Cabrera had power. Cabrera is like an all-time underrated Matt, I think. His defense. Oh, him and Neil were both shoddy. great. They both hit. They both hit above 280. They both hit 23 homers each. Uh, they both slugged above 470. 
They both could have gotten on base a little bit more, but like whatever. Yeah. It honestly, I think there were a lot of little things about that team that should be preserved and, and memorialized just because of how unique it was like having like Neil Walker there for a second and like, you know, having Addison Reed for a second. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It is a very different team. This team would wipe the floor with them, I think, but that's neither here nor there. Um, God, man. I mean, we're so close. Hopefully next time we're talking a little bit more about like divisional stuff, like winning the division and, and all that. Probably not yet just because of how, how big the magic number still is, but like really like to, to start, you know, upping the dosage a little bit on the serotonin scale, like getting from, you know, the birth to the division and then to each of the rounds up and then a world series. That'll be very nice. I, I, I don't really think my life will like ever be the same if they win the world series, but it'd be cool. <laughs> it'd be so cool. I don't know what I would do. Good like winning the lottery, but now we can talk about it, right? They're going to the playoffs. It's officially they will have a chance. They will have a chance. And we will be with you every step of the way. And this was episode 96 on the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. We got to do the math. Is 100 during the playoffs? It's absolutely during the playoffs. I just, I, I don't know when, like what round. I don't think, I think we'll be a little bit early to the World Series, but. This is interesting. The ideas, yeah. they're coming into my head. We have to figure out what to do for that special, special century mark. In any event, episode 96, we saw the Mets clinch a playoff berth, and hopefully they can take it uh, into a series victory in Milwaukee, and then, you know, maybe I think I'll be disappointed with anything less than a sweep out in Oakland this weekend. Whatever. Yeah. We'll figure it out. It'll be fine. The Mets are good. They're in the playoffs. Hopefully they win the division. Episode 96. Jack, any any last thoughts to leave the crowd? Beat the Braves. That's what I got. That's 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 all I'm gonna contribute, really. That's all I have. But it's gonna like, be hard. It's gonna be hard to beat the Braves when we don't play them for another seven we'll eight finish games. the job, you know, just take care of it, will you? Please. Yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, he's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. If you enjoyed, listen to some other episodes. Give us a follow on Twitter at the PGE Pod. But for episode 96, this one is in the books. And Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. Mm-hmm.